This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslo. We've talked a lot about polling on the show, and I wanted to have a primer on how polls are conducted, what pollsters do, the challenges they're facing, and some of the new solutions they're working on. And there was no better person I could think of to have that conversation with than Scott Tranter. Scott is the former director of data science for Marco Rubio's run for president. He's a co-founder of Optimus, a data and technology company based in D.C. that was recently acquired by Dynata last year. He is also an investor and advisor to Decision Desk HQ and an adjunct professor at American University, where he teaches quantitative and qualitative research in the School of Communication. He's also a personal friend of mine, Scott. Thanks for making the time today. Welcome to Politicology. Yeah, welcome. Happy to be here. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Boy, how are we doing? Are we warming up? I think so. I think so. <laughs> okay. Why don't we talk about the non-response bias? Because yeah. there's some huge there's some there's some huge challenges in survey research in in data science, right? Yep. Which is how do you figure out? Because, and I'm glad we started the conversation with the frame of allocating resources. Because why do we do polls? It's not because we're just curious, scratching our head. Hey, what do people think? The reason we do polls in politics is because we got to win. We yeah. have a single election day. Yeah. We have, like you said, one national sales day, right? That's it. And that's the only data we get. But it's also the one and only performance review. It is make or break. It's the finish line. It's right. everything, right? right? Win or take all on election day. In order to get there to win, we have to make sure we allocate resources the best as possible and give us the best chance of winning on election day. Okay. That's the frame that we're doing all of this within. And in order to get the best possible intelligence, we have to make sure that those samples are right. How does the non what is the non-response bias? How has it changed over, you know, the last, let's say last decade? Right. And like how is it fucking up the work that you do? And how do how are the smartest data scientists trying to get around the non-response bias? Yeah. No, I'm glad and it's let's let's use my example again about the hundred people in a room. Like I could just go talk to everyone. And if I look them face to face, they have to answer me. Right. We don't live in that world, right? Like I if, if I'm trying to do a representative sample of a thousand people in the country out of 220 million, I probably can't go fit my cohort requirements by knocking on it. I guess I could, but it'd be prohibitively. The election will be over before you, before get you do the, it. Right. <clears throat> so we started to use these things like phones, right? Like, oh, this is great. I can just sit in this just office call and call people. And in the 1950s and 60s, like everyone picked up the phone, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, know, you call them at six o'clock and they're there. The phone is ringing. Yeah, yeah, you get Someone uh, wants to talk to me. I mean, this is way beyond <laughs> me, but you hear pollsters, you know, from like 
the 60s and 70s, they're like, I, I make 4,000 phone calls. I get 2,500 responses. That's ridiculous. Wow. Response yeah. rates now on an average phone poll are between a half a point and a point and a half. So if you get a thousand respondents, you have to call a lot of people. Yep. Right. And so what does that tell you? Is it, it's not that no one's picking up their phone. It's a lot of them picking up their phone and saying, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Right. And so that's how it leads to your response biases. The data collection method is almost, it's not only, it's equally as important as picking non-biased questions, as picking sample frames, like how are they collecting the data? Right. And phones have been the predominant way to do it. And there's a there's there's even nuances among phones. We talked about RDD, random digit dialing. A lot of people now do file-based calling. That's my preference. It's, well, I know your name. I know this information about you. So I'm going to go ahead and call you because I got your number and I already know you're male. I know you already know you're white, you know, because people lie or they don't want to answer those questions. So I can, I can reduce the number of questions I'm asking you. And now we have these new methods. There's texting, there's online, um, you know, and, and, and even then like phone, you're not compensated which, you know, lends to credibility. If you're on an online panel, you're probably getting 500 airline points or something, you know, and that's that, that you know, you hear these stories about professional survey takers and things like that. So all this to say is response bias is not just, you know, Trump voters don't pick up the phone or whatever it is. Response bias is data collection methods and how they do it. And what I would say is it is, when you, when you factor in costs and then you factor in just knowledge, 50 years ago, if you got your sample right, you know, like I'm, if you, how many males and females and party affiliation, you could pretty much call and not have a problem. Just because I get my sample frame right, I still may screw up and not hire the right phone vendor, or I still may screw up and buy the cheap panel, or I may say, well, I'm going to do part texting, part online panel, part phone. That may seem really good, but oh my God, you are mixing Lots three entirely things. different methodologies. You got to make it work. It's not that it can't work. It just takes a higher level of skill and yeah. to make sure you're, you're fusing those ingredients correctly. And so I would say response bias is probably, response bias as it pertains to data collection methods is probably one of the key reasons why polling is going to have issues for the next 50 years. Not that people aren't picking up the phones or, or responding to this. It's just pollsters have to get different ways in which they can get you to respond. They're being leaned on by campaigns and like, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars. I've got $10,000 and you know, it's a business. I want to sell you something for, you know, I'll never forget. I used to turn down business. I was like, look, you only got 20 grand to do this. I know you want to, I'm not selling you something based on this because I think it's bad. You know, could I give you some numbers and would you not know why it's bad? Probably, but like, (laughs) it's just not going to be right. So let's not, let's not, let's not get down that path. And and you've got a reputation to look out for. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people in this industry who will take the 20 grand and put some numbers on a piece of paper and take the money and, you know, and, and, and and do that. So uh, non-response bias is really the data collection is a problem. Non-response bias in general, it can be a whole bunch of other things. We always talk about the shy Trump voter. You know, there's been a lot of statistical studies that show it's a, it's a real thing, and I would say it's not necessarily the shy Trump voter, meaning the the respondents to a poll who don't want to admit or don't want Trump. to say that they are supporting Donald Trump. Correct, right? yeah. and I might even say they just don't want to respond to a poll. Okay, you know, yeah. because they're yeah. like, screw this, I screw think, this. Yeah, I'm sure this is for you know, insert newspaper here, suit or news organization here. Yeah, um, 
you know, because good polls, if the respondent asks who's paying for it, you're supposed to tell them. Yeah. Like that, that's yeah. good methodology. That's ethics. Yeah. Like you got to tell them. Yeah. And if the person <laughs> hangs up on the other end, then you know, it was just like yeah. not a good poll. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that happens all the time. If you ever, if you ever get a chance to go see some of these survey, you know, uh, people go, go to a call center, like they get shit on all the yeah, time. They do. Like it it's is a, not a fun job. Thankless job. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but point being is these things are real. Non-response bias is a thing. It is not getting any better. I don't think response rates are going back up to 20, 30% if we invent something new. Yeah. I think the 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 voters who are shy Trump and you know, either they don't respond or they say they're afraid to admit Trump on the phone. We heard this in 2008. Yeah. Right. Like I remember working on the McCain campaign. They're like, yeah, Barack Obama's not going to win. It's just these people don't want to say they're not going to vote for the African American. I was like, uh, I mean, uh -huh. I'm sure there's some people like that, but like, yeah. no, it's the polls were, were right yeah. in 2008. Like, yeah, there's right. no, they you know, right. yeah. you know, it's one of those things. We hear this all the time, and so <laughs> it's just, it's just a new, a new thing. Um, <clears throat> it is, it is kind of like, uh, it is kind of ironic that that survey response rates have just plummeted, like yeah. you said, to you know, a, a, a fraction of a point, to right. a point. Uh, as at the same time, human beings are more connected than ever before constantly. Yeah. Well, right? I think that's the problem, right? That. Right. So, like, look at it this way. I think it's something like 50, 60% of Americans have a landline, hmm. whereas, you know, 50 years ago, it was like 100%. Right. Obviously, 100% cell phone. Pretty much everyone's got a cell phone. But, like, I, I probably have 10 missed calls on my phone from the last three days just yeah. because I don't know who it is. Yeah. Right, like, yeah. it, it, and you're not going to call them back. I'm not calling back. They're not in your phone book. They're not in the phone book, right. and and that's because you know I'm sick of people trying to sell me stupid car warranties or whatever. It's right, <laughs> like I'm not new to this. Or I get all these text messages and all that kind of stuff. So it's like pollsters come in the same way. The guy trying to sell you the home that's warranty right. are coming into you. That's right. People are just because you're so more connected, you get drowned out by all the bad actors on there. Yeah, you know, yeah. cell phone response rates I think are in the you know one and a half to three percent range. So Okay. Two to three times higher than landlines. Still tiny. Still tiny. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, I don't know what's getting better. You look at these online panels. You know, so I work for Diana. They have, you know, a, what I think is a very good, high quality um, online panel, but it's compensated, right? Yeah. Like, and it, it's only certain size. Like, it's not, you, they can't get the reach that a phone can. And they know it, you yeah. know, and that's, you know, Diana does a significant amount of political. They do 10 times more corporate. Yeah. Um, and that's because corporate's okay with the online panel and the, the consistency and all that. You know, online panels will, will certainly be helpful in this. I think you'll see a lot of texting panels, um, okay. you know, because text messages yeah. are not as saturated and we can attach you to a voter file, that kind of thing. And people respond and to text messages respond. easy. By the way, we should, for, for our listeners, we should explain what a panel is. A panel is just a, a lot of, a, a bunch of people who've agreed to participate in a survey over time or Correct. multiple different surveys, surveys over time, but longitudinally they are the same people and that's actually statistically meaningful. Correct. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ron, you explained it perfectly. It's either they're answering the same survey over a period of time or they just do a bunch of one-offs but they're compensated. And that that takes into account the quality of the survey. I'm not yeah. saying it's a bad survey, but if you're the survey designer, you have to take into account that there's a certain amount of people on your panel who will say whatever they need to say so they continue to get surveys. You know, today they're Republican, tomorrow they're a Democrat. <laughs> you know, today they, today they are for this, tomorrow they're for that. Yeah, yeah.
<laughs> Where should we go next? We've made the distinction on the show between polls of eligible voters and likely voters. Yeah. Uh, I, I wonder if you could explain how you predict who would be a likely voter. Likely voter. Yeah. Likely voter versus because a, a listener is like, okay, if you're if you're reading a poll, whether it's online or in a newspaper, or whatever. And you just see the the tiny little like disclaimer at the bottom where it explains that like the one or two line of the methodology it'll say you know uh, x number of respondents and uh, of likely voters or of registered voters or of uh, how do you how do you determine that and what should our listeners understand about that label and whether and how how useful it is for, for so eligible voters versus eligible voters likely voters voter. registered voters right yeah yeah. So register voters is simply what it's what it says, right? You're registered to vote. Yeah. Which is one threshold. Doesn't mean you're gonna vote, but man, at least you filled out the form. Yeah. And how would you grade these different methodologies if they, if they, yeah. if that's appropriate? Yeah, it, it depends on what it's for. I think the methodology for for doing registered voters is fine, but I don't necessarily I wouldn't think it's fine if I'm trying to figure out who's ahead. Right. Right. But if I'm just trying to figure out, well, what what does the average person think who could vote? Okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But no, if it's a week before the election, I'm trying to figure out who's ahead or not. No, yeah. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, eligible voters, even probably lower quality, right? Because just means you could register to vote or could vote, but you haven't even taken the time to fill out the form yet. Right. So again, it I means would, you're 18. It means you're 18. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and a citizen or whatever. I yeah. certainly wouldn't use that a week out to right. figure out who's winning, but I might use that to be like, okay, what is what do eligible voters think about student loans? Right. You know, whether they're going to vote or not is a different question. Likely voter is where campaigns live and die. Because again, the example of a million, million registered voters, we know only six to 800,000 of them are going to vote. Yep. So two to 400,000 aren't. Yep. So I need to figure out who those six to 800,000 are because that's where I need to focus my resources. Right. That is the, that is the uh, um, poll I would look a week out to see who's winning. Okay. And then we can get into how we determine like yeah. voters, right? Like, Why don't you do that? Huge, huge debates, right? Like okay. when, when I came to this industry, I was taught, I'm just going to ask you whether you're going to vote or not. Yeah, If you tell me you're right. going to vote, that is gospel. Yep. Like, it's, it's a screening a, question at the beginning yeah. of a poll. Like you look at a questionnaire and a campaign. Yeah. The very first question is, in the coming election, how yeah. likely are you to vote? And if you say not likely, boom, you're like, okay, goodbye. Thank you. Yeah. Right? And I and I was taught that that is canon. You can't right. argue with right. that. I was like, that doesn't seem right. And now there's- <laughs> Anytime somebody says canon. Yeah, yeah. Right? Anyone tells me this is 100%. And I was like, no, that's that doesn't seem right. Yeah. And there's been a lot of peer-reviewed studies that show, no, just because you say you're going to vote has no- it, In fact- the people who build the models about likely voters do better than if I ask you straight up. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. It's because people lie because they're like, well, if I tell them I'm not going to vote, they're never going to call me again. Not true. <laughs> or if I tell them if I tell them I'm not going to vote, then they're going to think I'm bad. So I'm telling them I'm going to vote. Right? Like <laughs> all these different things, which is a derivative of what we said before. Right, is, well, I don't right. want to admit to voting for Trump right. or anything like that. Right. And I know I said that, you know, those things are, some of them are good and not good. The voting thing, there's been a lot of empirical evidence because what we can do is, I can do a large-scale survey right before and say, are you going to vote or not? I record your answer, and then two weeks later, the election happens, and then I can see whether you voted or not. Yeah. I don't know who you voted for, yeah. but I can see if you actually yeah. did the action I asked right. you about. Right, When we've looked at those studies, it's all over the place. Yeah. What we found was is, I don't need to ask you. I just need to predict whether I you're I just need to not. predict whether, and this is where modeling comes <laughs> this in. This is where the modeling comes in, and it's good. The biggest predictor for whether you're going to vote or not is um, whether you voted in the past, and the second one is age. Mm. And right, and, and and it's another example of this. I'll use it. Um, I was trying to explain this to someone the other day. I was like, look, if you walk into Fogo de Chao, which is a spectacular place to get meat and steak, 
I can pretty much assume that no one in there is a vegan. It's not their thing. <laughs> not what they're trying to eat there. And it's not a bad thing. I'm just like, if you're going there yeah. and you're going to spend $50 or whatever it is, yeah. you're not You're not that. They're also not campaigning <laughs> to vegans. They're not campaigning right. to vegans, right? And so the 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 likely voter thing is is pretty much, I know that if you voted three out of the last four elections, you're probably going to vote in the next one, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't need a whole lot of data that's that mm-hmm. weighs very heavily. It's not a sure thing, right? Yeah. But it's it's certainly helpful. Mm-hmm. Same thing with age. If you're 55 plus, you know, we get voter participation north of 80% there. If I have a room full of 10 55 plus people yeah. and I tell you eight of them are going to vote, yeah. I can just go down the line. I'm going to be 80%. Yeah. You know, right. I don't have to know. Right. I'm just, yeah. I know I'm going to be right. And that's where the young people comes. That's where the age comes in. If you're 25 and maybe you voted in the last two elections, you might have you know we might yep. score you high to vote yep but if you're 25 and you're registered vote but you've never voted you're probably not going to be in our model gonna, right yeah and so, i might need to spend a little money getting you to vote if i right. if i know that you're yeah. in one of my cohorts that i'm relying on yep. to win and yep. and the, the, i'm glad you brought it back to money i don't know what it is recently but i remember looking at some studies five ten years ago if i get you registered to vote which is a whole nother yeah. dollar amount but let's say another, you're registered that's another vote. podcast that's another <laughs> podcast but if i get you to register to vote um, or if you're registered to vote, how much is it going to cost me to get you to vote? Yeah. Not how I want you to vote, but just get you into the voting booth. Anywhere from 10 to $30, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so if you need, you know, an extra 10,000 votes, and I'm telling you it's costing 15 bucks just to get you in the voting booth, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's real money. That's another $150,000, yep. right? Yep. And a campaign that is $2 million to spend, that's real money. Yep. And then I tell you, well, you got them in there, but I don't, I only think, 60% of those 10,000 are going to vote the way you want. And you're like, wait a second. I need 10,000 votes. I don't need 6,000. I was like, okay, well then you better buy 20,000. You better buy 20,000. Oh, right. so you're telling me I need, you know, yeah. I need more. I need, yeah. <laughs> I need yeah. 40. You know? yes. So that's where this goes. <laughs> this is where data science, it just brings it down. I'm like, yeah. I, you may not like it, yeah. you may, but it is. It's yeah. 15 bucks and this is how the numbers work. Yeah, because math describes yeah. reality. And then someone yeah. says in the room, like, well, what if you're wrong? What if it's not 15? What if it's 20? I was like, well, we better, we better have 20. Better then. err on the side of higher. Yeah. yeah. And then right. you know, when the next conversation goes, they're like, is there any cheaper voters out there? And then I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah That's just, a good, say that again. <laughs> are there That's, any cheaper voters out there? I'm yeah. like, yeah, yeah. We Let's not convince these ones to vote. We know these 10 guys over here, they're definitely going to vote. Yeah. And we're not sure. We, we think they're persuadable on this issue, border, student loans, or whatever it is. I bet we can convince enough of them to vote our way if we talk about the border at five bucks a piece. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Not 20? Oh, okay. Maybe I'll go that. But that that blows people's minds because they're like, that's not a good altruistic reason, right? Yeah. Like, we should want all-inclusive everyone votes. We should want voting for the good reason. And, and I'm not against that, but I want to win. Yes. And yes. the data says this is the cheapest way to win. Yes. You've got all the money in the world, and yep. yeah, go spend $20 and convincing, right. you know, all that, but right. campaigns don't have that. Damn, they have that. Ah, oh, man, you mentioned persuasion again, and we still didn't really get into persuadability, but 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 persuadability as a as a as a measurable trait, which is which is uh I think we should actually set that aside because it's such a long, complicated conversation. Maybe we come back to it and do it with our mutual friend Don Green, Professor Don Green. Oh, great. At Columbia. Yeah. Because I, I I um I did catch up with him sometime last year. Um so for our listeners, Don Green is I don't think he's the chair of the political science department. He's I he, call him the godfather he, of political testing. Actually, he's he's he's, he's wonderful. Great. He's so he's the great. Albert Einstein of, of our political methodology field. He wrote yeah. a great book called Get Out the Vote. Yep. Um, it's it's great. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know what his official Pro- title professor, is. Certainly yeah. professor of political yeah. science at, at Columbia University. Yeah. And we should we should bookmark that and come back to yeah. the, the the holy grail of persuadability, which is an unsolved problem yeah. in, in polling methodology. But it's it's a holy grail because like if you could understand how persuadable someone is on any given thing, but most importantly, their their proclivity to vote for your person, you could it would it would just turbocharge campaign operations. You could be extremely effective with the money that you have. So yes. Anyway, um, but that's not for today. So I uh, spoke with Mike Madrid a couple of weeks ago about how some pollsters will use. Um, we, we were talking about essentially the Latinization of America and yeah. and the challenge in sampling. Uh, Hispanic voters, yeah, and what that and what that means for all the decisions that we're talking about. Um, uh, and we should, by the way, put a link in the show notes to that episode if you're if you're interested, because uh, it's it, it, you should listen to that before we before we talk about this. You, you'll want some background on this, but um, we talked about using a list of Hispanic surnames to conduct opinion polling. <laughs> uh, for for Hispanic voters and some of the flaws of doing that, um, that also used to be canon a long time ago, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, can you talk about that? And then also some of the other ways pollsters will try to to research public opinion in other demographic groups, other cohorts. Yeah, not well, <laughs> not well. They don't. It's again because it's more expensive to get that right. And I'll give you a couple examples. I had to conduct a poll in India a few years ago. It was fascinating, right? Because like. Completely different thing. And it's like, you know, take everything I said before. It's like, yeah. oh, age, gender, party. Like, they don't have, they got in 50 India. parties. India. In India. And one of the things I learned is India has 34 languages. <laughs> a lot of people speak English. A lot of speak, people speak Hindi. But like, you go to, you know, one of the, the different provinces or, you know, their version of state, like, they speak an entirely different language. So, like, to do this right, we had to conduct a poll in 34 different languages. Wow. And I was like, and, and I remember seeing in the room, they're like, well, like 80% of the population speaks enough English anyway. And I'm like, well, is it like in America where just because you speak English doesn't mean you feel comfortable speaking in English, thereby you're not necessarily going to respond correctly mm-hmm. or, or respond at all. And they're like, well, that's a fair point, you know. And, and I'm like, well, then who doesn't speak English? Well, the uneducated. I'm like, well, okay, but they, they're voters too, right? Yeah, like we got to right. know what they're thinking. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So it was like one uh. of those things. And, this is the client. You're this is the client. Okay. And, and, and it was one of those things where we go through it. And in India, 34 language. In the U.S., it's not as big a problem as it is in India, but it is still a problem. Like, I, I can't wait to meet Mike. I, the question I'd ask him, and I'm sure you guys talked about it, is like the nuances of polling in Miami-Dade. The nuances oh, yeah. of polling in Southern California. Like, you bring up the surname thing. Yeah. My last name is Tranter. I am yeah. half Japanese, right? So <laughs> right. I would qualify as right. an Asian American voter in Southern California. But, but if you do a surname, you'd, it ain't happening. You'd never show up on a surname list. I never show up on a surname right. list. But man, I am a very valuable respondent <laughs> in my home county of Orange County, especially given where it's at. And so it's it's one of these things. You and but no, if you tried to do a survey against me in Japanese, I would know what to do. Right. But like getting the language correctly is important, but it's not the only thing, right? Like you you, you really do have to understand how the racial makeup looks mm-hmm. and how it is. And we go back to the cohort thing. It's like, well, why does this matter? Well, because ethnicity as a cohort, as a segment, it is a, it is a pattern recognition, a stereotype. It's I know a it's a dirty word. It's a predictor. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so it's very important you get that right. I think in the Hispanic community, which is, you know, from a voting standpoint, you know, depending on the state or the district, you know, 
I bring up Miami Dade. Like yeah. it's, it's Miami, Florida's won and lost Miami Dade. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, by and large, Miami Dade. And, you know, last time I was in Miami, English was the second language. Mm. Not a bad thing. It's yeah. a good thing. But like, think about that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. you, when you conduct it there, you, you, if you're not conducting in Spanish, or you're not getting the right mix of Hispanic voters. You're not getting the right cross section. You're not, right. you know, in my example of 10 people, you are leaving out a section of people that you're not asking them whether they like McDonald's or Burger King. So you might miss their opinion altogether. Oh, yeah. um, and I think that is a huge problem. Hispanic voters, you're seeing that a lot with Asian American voters. Um, it's a big deal in places like the Dakotas and Kansas, Oklahoma, Native American voters, right? Like, yeah, you right. know, it, it's, it's one of these sections. And I think you'll see this a lot. I'd be curious what Mike thinks generational, right? Like, Oh yeah. Generational is a big cohort too. And you see that in the Cuban American population, like first generation Cuban immigrants think differently than second generation Cuban immigrants, Yeah, which they're not immigrants, second generation Cuban Americans, Yeah, you know, um, you know, and so I I think that's very important. That's the other thing I learned. I'm from California. Yeah. The California Hispanics do not think the same way as say the Hispanics in South Florida. Yes. And that's okay. And that's okay. Yes. But we got to recognize those things. So actually, that brings us to something that uh, that Mike and I have talked about a lot, which is the the way that Hispanics, um, it, it, like the Democrats' problem with Hispanics, with with uh, with Latinos, is that they don't identify as a racially aggrieved minority. As, a, as an aggrieved racial minority. And this is the way that a lot of the Democrats talk to them, right? This is where they campaign for them because they assume they have their votes in the bag. And, and it's this, and it's this, this is massive misunderstanding. Um, uh, and this assumption that they're just going to vote, show up and vote for Democrats that is leading them to uh, enormous defeats and is going to lead to enormous defeats probably in 2022. And then do you want to talk a little bit about that? I was going to say, so here's the discussion point yeah. I have with Mike on that. And, yeah. and I agree with that there, you know, it is not, it is not as in the bag, right? We talked right. about like the voter segments before. It's like, well, you're going to vote for me and you're you're in the bag, so yeah. I don't spend as much money yeah. on you, right? Yeah. Like that's essentially what they're saying is when you look at districts like Will Hordes in Texas, you look at some of these South Florida districts, yep. especially the ones along the Rio Grande in South Texas, like those Hispanic voters, especially in 2020, shifted. They're not voting 60% for Trump, but they're in the 20s, 30s. That's yeah. what George W. Bush got in the yeah. early 2000s. That's right. You know, those types of things. Viva so Bush. Remember the yeah. coalition? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, I I, I am not a I am not a message um guru like Mike is or anyone else, but like the data tells me they're moving that way. And yeah. so then you have to ask questions why. why? And it might be because, you know, like the, my argument would be for South Texas is you know, those, those Hispanic voters are much more cultural voters than we give them credit for. They're yeah. deeply Catholic. Yeah. Abortion is a huge deal to them. Family's important. Um, uh, property, estate rights, you Entrepreneurship. Know, entrepreneurship. So that These are all traditionally taxes. conservative. Tradition, you know, yeah. you know, so that's what they want to speak to. Yes. Do they care about DACA? Yeah, but, 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 but a lot of them are here already. So, yeah. you know, yeah. it's not that they don't care about it. It's just, but I also care about whether I can afford my property taxes, my ranch next year. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. talked. We talked <laughs> about the. We talked about uh, sort of you know top issue ranking among this cohort, yeah. and it's it's amazing. It's like yeah. the immigration is the first thing that Democrats talk to them about, but immigration on the issues list of issues that they care about is like down at like ten or eleven or twelve. Even there's yeah. a whole bunch of things yeah. that they care about way, way, way more than that. Yeah, yeah. One of the polls that I think would surprise a lot of people. I remember doing a poll down in South Texas. I don't know five six years ago. One of the biggest issues 
for Hispanics voters that identified in Democrats, school prayer. They wow. wanted school prayer. Wow. Right? And they they were registered Democrats. This was in California? This is in so- so- Southern Texas. Southern Texas. Right. Okay. And 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 it was like, one of the things, they're, they're Democrats, but like, they wanted stronger it's Second prayer. Amendment protections. They wanted school prayer. Like, it's not, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. And the, the, yes, I'm a registered Democrat, but like, they're gettable, right? Yeah. Like, they are gettable if you're a Republican. You want to talk about gun rights and school yeah. prayer in South Texas, you can win a congressional seat off that. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Wow. You know, and they said, yeah. yeah, I'm a Democrat, but, yeah. you know, if for Republican around talking about those two yeah. issues, then they're gettable. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think th- this is just, it's fascinating. And I, and I wonder, there are a lot of Democrats who listen to this podcast, a lot of Democratic operatives too, yeah. who listen to the podcast, and they're starting to get it. They're starting to recognize, like, yeah. you, you, you're going to have to work for this cohort if you want yeah. it. Um, especially when you notice that, as Mike, as Mike pointed out in a two-part thing we did uh, last year, the you know if you take California out of the sample, right? Cal- California Latinos, you take them out of the sample. Republicans are winning California Latinos. Um, they're getting fifty percent. They're be- they're breaking at about fifty percent. The rest of the nation, right? California is a different animal when it comes to Latinos, right? Yeah. But it, when you move that, when you move California to the sample, everywhere else, yeah. it's it's kind of tied. Yeah. Now at this point, which is just mind blowing. Yeah. But, uh. Okay. Um. Where should you know? What, I want to ask you this. Yeah. Um. What? First of all, what are what is what are some of the most promising innovations? that you see in data science as it relates to politics, solving, solving some of the challenges, where do you think it's going? And then, and then most importantly, in terms of the numbers, whether it's demographics, party shift, et cetera, what are you watching most closely? What are you most interested in? Um, obviously we're coming up on the midterms. There will be lots of pontificating to come on, you know, who's going to, but zoom out, give us a big picture yeah. on like, how you think about this field and how you think about the way we measure things and also how things are moving, changing yeah. so fast now. What are you from uh let me ask the first one, some yeah. innovations. And I, it's not to answer that. I'll give you the highly nerdy answer. We've gotten a lot better in compute and techniques. So we don't need four thousand sample to get some of the insights we have. The math has gotten better, the computing has gotten better, that kind of thing. So I think that's good. But the the I think the more important thing is the literacy has gotten better. Never forget, when I first got into this industry, one of the guys who hired us said, I don't really believe that micro-targeting stuff, but this modeling thing you're doing, I think is real. I laughed. It's the same thing. <laughs> same thing. But you know what I mean? And it's like the literacy. L- micro-targeting is what we called it in 2004. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and it's what the, you know, they've been calling it for years. And, and it's one of those things, the literacy has gotten better. And this is why I like yeah. doing podcasts like this. I like telling my 2016 story, yeah. like Nate Silver, three days yeah. before the election, had a yeah. 30% chance. And guess what? One in three happens sometimes. So no, not everyone missed it. Right. I hope I convinced some people yeah. that the polls aren't bad. It's yeah. more, do you know how to read them? Do you know how to read them? And yeah. I think that is getting better. Um, or I hope, maybe I'm too naive. I hope that's getting better. People have a better understanding of what it means, what polling means, what forecasting means. And how to how to take advantage of it? I, you know, I, I'm on Twitter probably just like everyone else, and I think that's that's not representative of anything. Yeah, um, yeah, right. <laughs> Twitter is definitely not definitely representative not representative of anything. anything. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's good when I like go home and I talk to friends or I talk to people, and like I know they're not on Twitter. I know they yeah. watch five minutes of CNN a year yeah. or five minutes of Fox News a yeah. year, and they're 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 understanding statistical probabilities. They understand like no, I should average the polls or something like that. I think that's what data science and this has gotten people is they're 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 smarter about how they read it and they they think more critically about how they read polls and things like that. So I think that's good. But I also think 
you know, going back to the first one, the math has gotten better and the computing's gotten better so we can do more of it. And if it's interpreted correctly, it's more accurate. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. we're no longer relying on that one poll that comes out from right. this news org and that's it. Right. You know, the fact that I log into 538 or RCP and I see dozens of poll for Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them are shit. Yeah. Some of them are good. And you may need a PhD to figure out which ones are good or bad. But I'd much rather have too much data and have to teach myself how to sort through it than only have one data point. Yeah. You know, I'd yeah. rather have the problem of making sure every I got to teach you how to, to, to read this than no. Yeah. We got the one poll and it says this and this is what it is. Yeah. The one that your second question about, you know, it, what we're thinking about is and how this is going is, I think I might have said a little earlier, one of the stats that blows my mind is if you had told me in June of 2020 that Joe Biden was going to get 84 million votes in the popular vote, I'd be like, yeah, he's 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 going to get like 900 electoral votes, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, or you told me in summer, June of 2020, that Donald Trump is going to go from 60, 61 million votes in the popular to 74 million. I'd be like, yeah, he's going to get 400 electoral votes, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <clears throat> as someone who is is pretty good at predicting turnout, made a living off of it, you know, none of us predicted that level of turnout. No one. I mean, we all had models that had those scenarios. Yeah. You know, so yes, did I have a scenario that had that level of turnout? Yes. But did I did I have a high probability that one was going to happen? No. Right? Like, and it's one of those things. That is the part that's very interesting to me over the last, over the next 10 years is, are we going to see this higher level of participation and turnout? And what will that mean for um, this stuff? Because a lot of the models that we had leading up into 2016, it's because I give you the example about a million people, only about 600 to 800,000 vote. And I'm pretty good at figuring out who those 600 to 800,000 are mm-hmm. because I've been doing it for 20 years off the same file looking at the same people. All of a sudden, I went from a million people in the room, 600 to 800, now I got 800 to 900. So there's 100 to 200,000 people who I have no data on, yeah. no preconceived notions, and they just entered the chat in yeah. the last, <laughs> and, and, and they're going to be in the, they, they can be in the chat for the next 10, 20 years. You yeah. know what I mean? And so yeah. I have no idea what they're thinking. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. And it kind of blows your mind a little bit. And you know, this is my pushback. I, I, you know, I'm, I don't think there is, I know there's a huge policy issue around voting rights and, you know, people, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. I'm sure this is not going to be great for your listeners. I don't necessarily think voting rights is 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 a is like look statistically. You, statistically, it's okay. Speaking, I've said yeah. this on the podcast, yeah. and people get upset, and then then I explain it, and and then people understand. Yeah. But statistically speaking, go ahead. Participation you, is the, ridiculous. Why don't we let the statistician ex- <laughs> explain why? Yeah, yeah, statistically speaking, more people are voting today than ever in the history of mm-hmm. electoral politics in the, in America. Mm-hmm. Do I want more of them to vote? Sure. Yeah. But like, let's not joke ourselves. Again, in terms of outcomes, in ter- term outcome, you know, like the yeah. outcome, but like, let's not kid with ourselves. Donald Trump yeah. got 60 million votes in 2016. Yeah. He got 74 million in 2020. 14 million people who didn't vote in 16 said, yeah, I'm going to come out and vote for this guy. Same yeah. thing for Joe Biden. Joe Biden got 84 right. million votes. I can't remember how many Hillary got, but Joe right. Biden got more votes than Hillary. Right. So turnout is up across the board, whether you're Republican or yeah. Democrat, whether you believe in voting boxes or ABEV, yeah. like it is up. Yeah. Now, there are some nuances there that should yep. be fixed and addressed. But There's like, a moral argument, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. that we should, more yeah. people should have access to vote more yeah. easily everywhere. Yes, yeah. all those things. Yeah. However, we're talking about the math and the outcomes. Yeah. yeah. The math says that more people are voting than they have ever before. And that there are new people, you know, new people, and it's harder to predict new people, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's really hard. It's, it's, we're going to have to see where this goes. There's another thing you should ask Don Green about if he's going to be on later. 
<clears throat> there's a great academic study that says if you can get someone to vote, I think it's two times in a row for one party, you have an 80% chance of locking them in for the party for the rest of their life. Wow. Right? And so wow. <clears throat> I'd be interested if that study's been redone or not or what Don thinks about in the, in the case of persuasiveness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But like, there's a lot of people who who had their first election in 2020 yeah. and 2016. Yeah. They yeah. got one in for they the Democrats one for or the one for the Republicans. What are they going to be in 2024, 2028? And, that's, and those are new voters. <laughs> those are right? new those voters. Are new voters. Yeah. This gets to the consistency principle that I've discussed with Catherine Sanderson, our our, our uh, resident uh, psychology. She's a psychology chair at um, at Amherst. And uh, we've talked about the, the, the consistency principle is a, is a cognitive bias that a um, – Robert Cialdini, uh, Professor Cialdini at Arizona State University, did some pioneering um, social psychology work in the 80s where he sort of cataloged some of the most prolific um, cognitive biases that marketers use to persuade people. And the consistency principle is essentially what you just described because your 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 brain takes shortcuts because it's an energy-using machine and it wants to use energy as efficiently as possible. And once it, once it, once it establishes a pattern, it's going to rely on the pattern rather than rethinking the right. underlying decision. It worked that, for me right? last time I'm in. Exactly. It worked for me last time. So if I vote Republican this time and then I vote Republican the second time, what you're saying, what you're describing yeah. is that consistency principle in action. It's, yeah. it's, it's psychology. Yeah. Um, anyway. Prove it out with numbers. This is fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is really so fun. Keep an eye on that. Yeah. That's, I, I don't know where it goes. Yeah. That's why it's funny. I'm in an industry where I'm supposed to be able to predict the future. And yet I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. I, 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 the only, the only thing that keeps, keeps me happy is like, I think I have the tools to figure it out. Yeah. Right. And yep. so, cause it will yep. be different. And the, the tools are getting better. And the tools are getting better. And yeah. there's more literacy. Like, you know, it's funny. I, there's probably, you know, building data scientists in and around this. It was very hard to find qualified people. Now there's everyone. Everyone's yeah. got some skills. Everyone's yeah. got some knowledge. And I yeah. think that's good. You know, it's not good if you want to be paid a half million dollars to be a data scientist, yeah. but it's good if you want, you know, to bring new blood into the industry and you want, you want some of that diversity, because I will say this, um, I, you know, when I used to hire people, I used to make sure I hired people who had base math skills, but like, I didn't want all poly political scientists. No, I want them yeah. all reading the same books. You had people with PhDs in physics, people yep. with PhDs in yep. anthropology, because you want people to bring different Absolutely. knowledge, yes. you know, different angles. They all understood what regression was and they yeah. all understood random forest, yeah. but they had different thoughts on how to uh, attack the data and look at it. This is exactly what we're doing on the show. Yeah. Lots of different disciplines from both yeah. practitioners and academics and journalists and poets. And, yeah. Scott Tranter. This is, I hope, the beginning of many. Yeah, uh, this absolutely. Is a, this, is, this is meant to be a, a, a baseline, like a primer on what it's like to do this kind of work. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we're sort of building a, a body of knowledge here for people who want to you know, really, really understand how, 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 how the practice of politics is done, how the practice yeah. of winning campaigns is done. So, um, do you want to be found on the internet? Where can people find you on the internet? <laughs> if they Google my name, Scott Schrader, <laughs> they could find some okay. things, I'm sure. Are you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. That most unrepresentative of animals. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am on Twitter. It's S Tranter. That's my handle. Yep. My first and last name. I'm on there. If you if you send me weird DMs or weird tags, <laughs> I, I don't block anybody, but I won't read them. I promise you. <laughs> Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. If you haven't yet, we'd appreciate it if you could open up the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five-star rating and review over there. This helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. 
If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at politicology.com. And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or just a simple note about how the show has impacted you. And we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.